welcome to the California Law Review Podcast. I'm Tom Deck, online editor. Today, we sit down to discuss the state of free speech at UC Berkeley. Last year, UC Berkeley faced a storm of protests over controversial political speakers. Campus administrators have been caught between two countervailing forces. On one side, self-described free speech advocates who assert the importance of allowing individuals to speak even if those speakers take positions antithetical to our values as a university. And on the other side, large groups of students and activists demanding that the university disallow speakers who, in their view, promote hate and violence. The university has leaned into the controversy, working to fulfill the dual missions of carrying out its obligations under the First Amendment, while also ensuring the safety and well-being of its students. In this podcast, we will have the opportunity to hear directly from the university. Earlier this year, we sat down with Charles Robinson, who's the general counsel and vice president of legal affairs for the UC system and oversees the university's legal team. Mr. Robinson sat down with myself and senior notes editor Grace Golke to discuss the pressing challenge of free speech at UC Berkeley. Um, So, yeah, we wanted to start by just hearing about sort of what your role is in terms of these Mm -hmm. kind of free speech and First Amendment issues on the UC campuses. Uh, so I operate at a, a policymaking level. I don't really get involved in kind of the day-to-day implementation mm-hmm. of policies or handling uh, specific issues. Uh, you're probably aware that there's a, a lawyer, a number of lawyers mm-hmm. here at this campus who, uh, and the other campuses who handle uh, individual matters. Uh, when people are thinking through policies, then uh, I can frequently become involved in uh, reviewing them and making sure that we're compliant with legal obligations and uh, you know, the university's overall mission. We do have a couple of people in my office in Oakland and uh, some people on the campuses who, as well who specialize mm-hmm. in First Amendment issues. And so they are people that, uh, that I consult when mm-hmm. we have these kinds of issues. We actually have uh, across the locations kind of a First Amendment working group. Uh, and I'm thinking uh, the chief lawyer at the San Diego campus, yep. uh, the chief lawyer here at mm-hmm. the Berkeley campus. We have a couple of people in my office in Oakland, and I'm sure there are others. And there are six or eight people who are in a, uh, a working group. And one thing we were mm-hmm. sort of curious about how much, given that your role involves all of the UC campuses, how much you see differences in what they want to do, or whether there's kind of mm-hmm. uniform um policy preferences or mm-hmm. whether that seem, that varies a lot by school to school. You know, it's interesting. Um, this is uh, an area where there's a lot of consistency. Mm-hmm. As you might imagine, yeah. There's uh, it can sometimes be a challenge <laughs> maintaining right. consistency yeah. across <laughs> 10 campuses yeah. that are differently situated. But um, I, I think where the First Amendment is concerned, uh, the approach is this, the same across the system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Universities in particular are places where people are trying to uh, engage in discovery uh, and and seek knowledge. And so to my way of thinking, um, the First Amendment, uh, having a robust marketplace of ideas is pretty much essential uh, to the core mission uh, of the university. So one one of the reasons for the consistency across the campuses uh, is that, of course, everybody is engaged in the same business of of knowledge seeking uh, and discovery. Uh, and uh, it's basically within the DNA, I would say, of, of uh, the, all of the uh, campus administrators as well as the central office that uh, we, uh, we promote that robust marketplace of ideas. 
Well, so First Amendment issues, of course, come up right. not only. Uh, all of life. Well, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, they. It's not simply kind of the campus protest, right. you know, situation. Uh, you know, we have TV stations and we have right, radio yeah. stations, and I mean, there are all sorts of reasons why First Amendment right. issues uh, could come up yeah. uh, beyond simply the, the campus protest. Right. Yeah. Have there been other kind of scenarios where there's been particularly difficult, either legal or policy decisions by the university in that First Amendment? Space? It's hard to say because it, 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 it's not unusual. Right? <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, stuff comes up right. uh, you know, fairly often that we uh, have to deal with. And as I said at the outset, I tend to operate at the policy level mm-hmm. and, and, and less at kind of the transactional level. Right. Uh, I'm sure there are issues that, uh, that come up that I'm not even aware of and, right. and I don't necessarily need to be aware of right. because mm-hmm. they are being handled by, uh, by other folks. There seems to be some balancing that has to go on, too, to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we've certainly seen it past week and earlier this semester um, with everything that's been happening on campus. Um, how do you balance sort of the need to protect people's rights under the First Amendment with the need to also, you know, keep students safe and um, ensure that people feel that, you know, the UC system is inclusive and, you know, that they can be comfortable? And um, what, how, how does that, what, you know, how do you approach it? Um, well, I think we approach it uh, first and foremost from a, a view that we have to uh, apply the same principles mm-hmm. consistently, regardless of viewpoint, right? So mm-hmm. uh, viewpoint neutrality, content neutrality, uh, of course, is important. We try to encourage civil discourse. There's some mm-hmm. limitations on us in, in terms of our ability to actually establish mm-hmm. uh, you know, those, but we do at least aspirationally set out. This is what we think is appropriate in the university setting. Security is a legitimate consideration, mm-hmm. right? So we do need to uh, make sure that we provide an environment within the university community that uh, is secure for uh, everybody. That said, we also uh, need to make sure that those who would uh, you know, kind of breach the, uh, the, the peace don't place themselves in a position where they can essentially uh, preclude uh, certain speakers mm-hmm. uh, from being able to, to uh, participate in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. So I, I think what I've just done is reflect what you just said, which is it's a balance, right? Uh, you're absolutely right. It, it ends up being a balance. So mm-hmm. one thing we, you know, we say like it's such a hot topic, it's happening right now. Mm-hmm. But do you see, given that you've been in this role for mm-hmm. Um, some years. Do you do you think that's true that it's become more charged or more difficult for the university to balance those things, or is that sort of just how we're all seeing it? Is this has it become? A yeah, I, I think more it has. I, I think it, it has, and uh, there are a couple of uh, changes or trends that I've seen in the ten years I've been here, and I started in January two thousand seven. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the changes is that I see uh, more. Uh, participation on our campuses from people outside the campuses. And sometimes uh, the the people who come onto campus uh, have an agenda that's not necessarily just a free speech agenda. Mm -hmm. There are some people who come on with an agenda of creating chaos, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, right? And it's it's not necessarily I have a viewpoint that I want to express Mm -hmm. or I want to object to your viewpoint Mm -hmm. uh, or challenge your viewpoint. It's a, this is an opportunity to uh, you know, engage in chaos. Uh, yes, that presents a challenge. Yeah. Uh, I think that uh, the members of our community uh, almost inevitably are responsible people who care about the community and uh, also care about their own views and, and ideas. 
but for the most part want to engage in civil discourse. Mm -hmm. And even those who are, are, are kind of provocative, uh, I, I think are doing it to convey a message that they believe in mm -hmm. uh, and, and do not want to do harm to the community. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, I think virtually everybody in the Berkeley community embraces the reputation right. uh, for free speech and don't want to see damage done to that reputation. Mm -hmm. I'm not so sure that some of the folks who are coming in from the outside who have kind of a chaos agenda mm -hmm. feel the same way about protecting the community and, mm -hmm. and its reputation. If the university, you know, we know that there are these people out there that, mm -hmm. you know, kind of infiltrate and have their own agendas, uh, you know, but is there, a, should that in any sense veto the ability for people to to actually go out there and participate. You know, I know this was, you know, seeing the chancellor's email and seeing the, yeah. you know, sort of, you know, it's. So I'm going to try to keep this general yeah, because there's yeah. a pending lawsuit. But as a general matter, we need to find ways both of securing the, the, the community and making sure that everybody has an opportunity to speak. And you know, to some extent, you look at it over time, right? right? Everybody should have an opportunity to speak and you need to find ways of, 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 of making that happen. Yeah, and you know, from, I think both of you know, our vantage point with the, the Ann Coulter situation, you know, seeing that, you know, I, I read the reports that, you know, UC police came in from all the different campuses to try to create that sense of security. And it seemed like the university was more proactive as opposed to the Milo incident where I think, you know, from our perspective, the university had a little caught off guard. Um, you know, so maybe that's one, you know, that certainly seems like one so I won't commit, I won't comment on any <laughs> yeah. uh, that particular case. The, the objective is always to try to secure and, uh, you know, circumstances can change that right. cause one to plan differently. So going back to this concept of the, the marketplace, mm -hmm. uh, you know, mm -hmm. this is obviously a big topic in the First Amendment and the case law, you know, yeah. we, we yeah. both in this yeah. First Amendment class last semester, so we, we uh -oh. saw that. Yeah. You're, you're closer to it than I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we saw a lot, we heard a lot and just talked yeah. a lot about the marketplace. Right, right, and, right. Uh, the question, you know, kind of, you know, the, I think the free speech ideals, you mm -hmm. know, is that, you know, anyone can come and mm -hmm. you know, contribute and there can be this genuine exchange of ideas and sort of the best ideas will rise to the top, right. you know, kind of concept. Right, right. Um, but there's been some, I think, pushback, uh, or I guess renewed pushback now mm -hmm. uh, from some uh, that claim that the marketplace essentially needs to be more regulated, that not everyone has that same, you know, sort of equal footing in the marketplace. And, you know, do you, do you think that the First Amendment, I guess just jurisprudence generally, or, you know, the university's policies should better protect or better, you know, equalize that marketplace? Um, and how could that be done? Mm -hmm. You know, there might be a disconnect between what the law allows and what yeah. the school might want to do. But So that is another trend. We, I, I talked a moment ago about, you know, what's happened over the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. Part of what's happened over the last 10 years is the participation of the outsiders who have kind of a chaos agenda. The, the other part of it is, and I think there's always been something of a tension between free speech on the one hand and um, a, a uh, safe environment or an environment mm -hmm. free from harassment on the other right. hand and, and uh, the ability of everyone in the community to have kind of an equal opportunity to uh, participate, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and I think there's always been a tension in that. I think over the last 10 years, there's been more focus on the latter. And you mm -hmm. mentioned some of it in your questions, mm -hmm. things like safe spaces and, mm -hmm. and trigger warnings and, and that sort of thing. Um, uh, that creates a real challenge. Uh, I, I think if you were to ask me personally what I think, uh, 
I still have concerns about quote unquote regulating mm -hmm. uh, the marketplace if what that means is uh, that we we tell people what they can say and what they can't say. I, I have some difficulty with that. Yeah. And it's not at all to delegitimize the concerns of people who feel as though, well, maybe I don't have the same opportunity to participate mm -hmm. because of who I am, because uh, it's a little more intimidating for me, perhaps, because there are not as many people like me, mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, on campus. I understand those concerns. Uh, and, but I think that the, the remedy there is to challenge mm -hmm. <laughs> those who are speaking right. as opposed to trying to regulate them. Yeah, it seems that the line drawing is, is almost impossible in that area. Very, you know, very, very difficult, you know, to, to try to. Well, well that's exactly right. right. And, um, yeah, circumstances change. <laughs> yeah, for, for some people, you know, there was a change in circumstance on November 7th. Right. Uh, right. And, and one's you know, perspective on who should be deciding and who should be drawing lines yeah. <laughs> you know, right. on you these issues that, may, 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 may very yeah. well change depending upon. Right. So that's uh, that's the reason why I think it's it, it's. Um, uh, my preference, my, my personal preference, and I, I think I can probably say the preference of the university is not mm -hmm. to be in, in the business of uh, regulating speech. But that does not mean that uh, the university doesn't have a role in challenging speech mm -hmm. where it believes that what's being said is objectionable. It doesn't mean that the university doesn't have a role in educating people. Mm -hmm. uh, that it doesn't have a role in giving people the tools to be able to uh, speak on their own. I think those are all things that we can do, and I think they're all preferable to uh, trying to regulate speech. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it sounds like sort of what you're, and correct me if this is not what you're saying, but that um, what the First Amendment requires is also what the university prefers as a policy matter. But have there been, and again, not specific times, but are there times where you either, you know, want to do something and it, or the university is trying to make some policy change and it has to be limited by what you see legally the First Amendment requiring or, I mean, I guess that's the only direction it could go, but, yeah. you know, are there are times where you see a tension? I, I, I'm, well, I certainly see a tension. I'm not sure that I can think of a time where a UC administrator wanted to implement a policy mm -hmm. that gave me concerns that <laughs> we, right, we that were going to violate. The, yeah, that yeah. we were going to violate. So again, uh, there's been remarkable consistency right. in an institution that... <laughs> yeah, I'm sure otherwise... <laughs> where, where consistency is, right. yeah. is difficult to achieve. And, yeah, a huge uh, system. Uh, yeah, system. On, on these issues. And uh, yeah, so I'm not sure I can think of an instance yeah. in the last 10 years where somebody said, I want to implement a policy that says so-and-so can't speak. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. uh, or they can well there are time place manner i should say there yeah. are time place manner mm -hmm. uh restrictions that uh are implemented but again they're implemented on a content neutral right basis right do you think that there's any risk that the university sort mm -hmm. of on the the time place manner spectrum uh would i guess there'd be like sort of this creep of of reducing that that window where people can speak generally um this doesn't seem that yeah. to be a problem at in the UC system, but you know, in other yeah, venues, just, you know, that's, that's definitely one way you can try to get at it, is just reduce the amount of speech. Um, well, and I think that's one of the dangers of trying to regulate something, <laughs> <laughs> right? right? Kind of once you start down that path, uh, as you just said, it's very difficult to begin drawing lines. So I don't think we should start down that path. Mm -hmm. And I, I haven't 
seen it, you know, quite frankly, at mm -hmm. least among the, the, the administration. There are always calls for us to do more or to mm -hmm. uh, to start to regulate. There was a, an, an incident at the San Diego campus a number of years mm -hmm. ago where a group of students wanted uh, sent out an invitation to a picnic that uh, they called the Compton Cookout. There were some very offensive things said in the invitation right. and very stereotypic things mm -hmm. said in the invitation about African-Americans. Mm -hmm. Not only did we get lots of calls from uh, some groups on the campus to do something about it, right. yeah. you know, we had members of the legislature calling up and saying, you know, <laughs> do something about it. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of an example of that. You, know, you can sometimes get some pressure to do something about it. And but I think the response has always been consistently, well, what we should do about it is a challenge it and B, we should speak ourselves about you know, mm -hmm. you know, what we think is the right way to approach uh, issues. And I think and I think on that point, yeah. um, you know, we were we saw some survey data from I think it's from 2015, but recent, relatively mm. recent. Right. Uh, that essentially shows that the generation in college now is maybe less supportive of sort of this carte blanche free speech policy. And, you know, do you find from your perspective that uh, maybe more criticism from the student body itself makes you, a, your job more difficult, but also that tension itself creates a lot of problems? And, you know, how does that, how does the university navigate that? Uh, uh, actually, no, I don't think it presents any unique problems. Mm -hmm. I think Quite frankly, I think that's an example of free speech. <laughs> no, seriously, I, you know, I think that's part of the debate that goes on, whether, you know, even whether or not you regulate free speech is, is, is a, a part of free speech. I'm fine with that. I, I do. Th I think there's a possibility that the current generation may be far enough removed from the civil rights era and, and some of the abuses <laughs> that, that have occurred in the past that there may not be as great an appreciation <laughs> for uh, why free speech is as important as right. it is. Yeah, I'm hoping that we're not heading into a, an era <laughs> where, where, where that may change. Right. But So that may be part of it. I, I think that uh, those of us who were close to the civil rights era and saw authority trying to uh, you know, clamp down on right. on uh, pe uh, silence. People mm -hmm. may have a, a greater appreciation for why you don't want to regulate mm -hmm. speech. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah right. right. How can that, yeah. When power shifts. Yes. Exactly. When exactly. Right, That's makers. right. Power can shift, and right. I think people need to kind of remember you want that, that solid foundation. Of... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Our conversation then turned to social media an emergent platform for student speech. We asked Mr. Robinson how his office and the university more broadly approaches free speech online. I think what I would say there is that, well, first of all, I think it, it's not only in this area, but in a lot of areas right. that uh, we work in, applying traditional principles to mm -hmm. new technologies mm -hmm. uh, yeah. can be a challenge. Yeah. For the uh, courts as well as and, and, and To the courts yeah. and yeah. everybody else, yeah. right? Everybody's trying to figure it out right. to, some, to some extent. It's, it's evolving. I also think it... it in a lot of ways, can be more fact specific in in a way. Mm -hmm. it, it's it feels a little more case by case as you're right. feeling your way along right. to try to figure out uh, how to uh, you know how to adapt mm -hmm. and, and how to apply these principles to uh, to new media and to social media and that sort of thing. In general, I think the same principles or the same objectives apply. Mm -hmm. Right. So the objective is still a robust marketplace of, uh, of ideas. Mm -hmm. I think that some of the same tools apply. So there's no reason why uh, an offensive comment in social media can't be challenged. 
Right. That's one of the tools. Uh, true threats. You guys just took the first amendment. Yeah. Brandenburg. Yeah. So true threats, I think, can still be addressed. I, I, but the answer to your question is yes. It's it, it can create challenges because we're all trying to figure out how to adapt and evolve. Right. And even and knowing it, what the First Amendment requires in that space, I think, is a exactly. bit of a mystery. Still, it, it is still a, it's still a mystery. Yeah. Uh, so I think the best I could say is the objective is still the same. Right. Uh, how you achieve the objective, uh, uh, it can be a challenge. It really is, I think that's, it really is case by case. And, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of, you know, do we have, have we tried to put out a system-wide policy on social media and how you handle social media? We haven't to date. I think it has been more ad hoc. How do we achieve the objectives that I've identified mm -hmm. in this specific case that involves social media? So how do you how do you think the election has influenced, if at all, you know, the approach? You know, he certainly yeah. has uh, been... He said he wants to remove our funding, and you know he's made some some statements uh, yeah, yeah. as he does on many issues. But how does how does his election influence? Yes, uh, it really hasn't. It literally has not changed our approach or our, our views on free speech. Some of the things he has said has created uh, you know logistical issues for us. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that our approach to free speech or the objectives are are any different. Yeah, frankly, I think we have seen. A modest increase in you know kind of anti-Semitic or or uh, racist uh, you know graffiti and, and and that sort of thing. Whether or not you trace that back to the, the president, I don't know. But mm -hmm. but we have seen that kind of increase. Uh, so uh, that's unfortunate, but that hasn't really changed how we've approached right. things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do yeah. you in that same <laughs> issue that Tom was raising? Do you think it's changed how students ask the university to respond, or do you think you know the kind of moves by students or different groups? for a stronger, more regulatory response would be there regardless. I think I saw the, the, that trend beginning even before the president's uh, election. And I'm not sure that I've seen an, you know, a specific increase in right. that sentiment uh, since his election. So, I guess from your, your point of view, mm -hmm. is there any grounds for him to try to remove funding or try to push for that to happen? You know, is it is it just a really, truly a totally baseless thing that he's just kind of spewing out there on Twitter? Or is, is there? I, I, I think I can say that uh, I don't see anything in our in the way that we've approached these issues mm -hmm. that should cause anyone to want to defund the university, uh, uh, in part because there's nothing that we're doing is any different from what we've been doing for right, right. for decades. And when you when you when you mentioned the sort of logistical challenge that he has contributed to potentially, you know, by that you are you referring to sort of stirring the pot and getting some of these people infiltrating one, some people even harassment on social media we've seen online. Is that sort of what you mean by sort of logistical challenges? So I suppose this, this is my personal view as opposed to a university view. Mm -hmm. I think that some of what the president has said has given permission for some people to say and, and act in ways that, uh, to my way of thinking, don't promote civil discourse. Before ending our conversation, we did take the time to ask Mr. Robinson just how often he deals with free speech as part of his role. And how much, I guess, I don't know if you can put like a, a rough percentage, but like, you know, of all of the issues you have to deal with, you know, all the, you know, I mean, this is yeah. just one sliver. It's a sliver. Say, right? It's just, it really yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, it really is a sliver on average over time. I will say that there are certain times when it's more than a story. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I imagine you can think about it. The interview with Mr. Robinson was recorded on April 19th, 2017. 
This show was produced by Ethan Friedman and Megan Fenzel. The California Law Review podcast seeks to connect listeners to the scholars, practitioners, and advocates shaping the law today. Thank you for listening and catch you next time.